Welcome to the Factual Forecast, a look at the week's biggest stories and what they mean from the editors at Factual. I'm Jimmy Levis. Today is May 5th, and in this week's forecast, we've got the Israeli parliament reconvening, Russia's annual military parade, Philippine elections, Sudan's upcoming national dialogue, and a look at anti-government protests in Armenia. You can also read about these stories and more in our weekly newsletter, which you can find a link to in the show notes. Israel's parliament will meet on Sunday. It'll be the first time the 120 members of the Knesset have met since Prime Minister Naftali Bennett's government lost its coalition majority. That boosted Benjamin Netanyahu's right-wing opposition effort to regain power. Bennett's government, of course, is made up of a wide spectrum of politicians who achieved their one shared goal of ending Netanyahu's 11-year rule last June. But now that coalition is struggling to keep its members on board due to divergent policy views. It now has just 60 seats after the resignation of coalition chairwoman Idit Solomon and the decision by the Islamist Ra'am party to suspend its membership. That suspension is in protest of Israeli police violence against Palestinians at Al-Aqsa Mosque over Ramadan. Now, without a majority, the government will be unable to pass legislation. It'll also face an increased risk of collapse if Netanyahu's bloc is able to pull together enough support for a no-confidence vote, though the chances of that outcome remain slim in the near future because Ra'am is unlikely to support that motion. Finally, Bennett's coalition, which includes prominent figures of their own political ambitions, like Defense Minister Benny Gantz, well, it's reportedly ordered all its members to attend the first three weeks of the legislative session. The coalition is fighting to stay alive and avoid a deadlock that may force the nation's weary voters into the fifth election in three years. Moscow's annual military parade through Red Square is set to take place on Monday. Known as Victory Day inside Russia, the holiday and the massive military parade is to commemorate the Allied victory in World War II and the defeat of Nazi Germany, or the Great Patriotic War, as Russia calls it. Of course, this year's event will take place under the backdrop of the country's invasion of Ukraine. Moscow used the parade back in 2014 as a chance to flex the country's strength and patriotism following the annexation of Crimea. This year, however, it appears as though the parade will be muted in size, in the wake of the severe difficulties and losses Russia has faced in Ukraine. Now, despite speculation that Russia would prioritize victory in the Battle of the Donbas at all costs prior to Monday's parade, Russian officials have made clear that they would not let the parade impact military timelines in the war. All signs on the ground corroborate this, with Russian progress in the Donbas tepid and an increased aversion to casualties observable. Still, the parade may provide another glimpse into how far Russia has continued to descend back into a fully authoritarian state. Voters in the Philippines will cast their ballots on Sunday. The country's elections come as incumbent President Rodrigo Duterte's six years in power come to an end. An interesting list of candidates has emerged for the presidency and vice presidency, and among them is frontrunner Ferdinand Marcos Jr., commonly referred to as Bongbong Marcos, who is the son and namesake of the country's former dictator, Ferdinand Marcos. President Duterte's daughter, Sarah Duterte, is running for vice president as Marcos's running mate. Marcos has maintained a wide lead in the polls over his closest rival and current vice president, Lenny Robredo, 
but observers say she might still have a shot as her Pink Revolution campaign has attracted large crowds across the country. World boxing champion Manny Pacquiao and Manila mayor Francisco Domogoso, commonly referred to as Isco Moreno, are both polling within single digits. Now, among the thousands of elected offices up for grab, voters will choose the politicians who make up the Senate, House of Representatives, and the country's regional governors. What's more, they'll be shaping the political direction of the country for the coming years. China and the United States will both look to court whoever wins, especially on the subject of the disputed islands in the South China Sea. Finally, on top of the geopolitical issues, if Marcos wins, he would have the power to appoint the head of the agency seeking to reclaim the billions of dollars his dictator father stole from the country. Sudan will host a three-day national dialogue forum starting on Tuesday. Expected participants include delegations from the African Union, the United Nations, and the eight-nation East African trade bloc called the Intergovernmental Authority and Development. Sudan has faced a political crisis since the general commander of the Sudanese Armed Forces, General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan, declared a state of emergency and dissolved the government in October 2021. That was back when the country was headed by Omar al-Bashir. Since then, there have been mass anti-government protests both in the capital Khartoum and elsewhere in the country. Sudan's doctors' committee has documented dozens of killings and hundreds of injuries as the military often deploys live ammunition, rubber bullets, and tear gas to disperse demonstrations. Now, the upcoming dialogue is aimed at resolving the country's current political crisis through the formation of a civilian-led government and a transitional legislative assembly. Another aim of the discussions, according to the Africa Union's mediator, would be to move towards holding proper and credible elections by the end of the transitional period, which is scheduled to end in February of 2023. Our last item for this forecast is on the anti-government protests in Armenia. For more on that, I spoke with Factal Editor Amana Gunawan. Hi, Amana. Hey, Jimmy. Hey, thanks for talking to us today. I'm hoping you can catch us up to speed on what's going on in Armenia. It's been about five months since our podcast has touched on the country's conflict with Azerbaijan, and it seems like there's been some new developments. What can you tell us about those? Yeah, so scores of demonstrators basically have reignited protests in um, the Armenian capital of Yerevan to demand the resignation of Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan. And this comes as, you know, Armenia moves closer to reaching a peace agreement with neighboring Azerbaijan over the separatist region of Nagorno-Karabakh. It's a disputed area in a mountainous region of Azerbaijan, um, but it's predominantly populated by ethnic Armenians. In the peace agreement, it's related to the fighting there, there a couple of years ago or so? Yes. So during the fall of 2020, there was a six-week war over the territory and during that period, Azerbaijan was able to take control over large areas that had previously been under Armenian control, basically since the early 1990s. And so ever since the two countries signed a Russia-brokered truce in November 2020, Armenia's Prime Minister Pashinyan has faced backlash um, because critics said, you know, the government is apparently willing to compromise Armenian sovereignty in Nagorno-Karabakh, which, as I mentioned, has been under Armenian control since early 1990s and is also populated by a lot of ethnic Armenians as well. 
Well, in addition to watching for any new clashes between the two sides, that would obviously complicate matters. What else should folks be watching for here? I think people can expect um, more protests, basically. So anti-government protesters, including opposition lawmakers, have held daily rallies around um, Armenia basically since mid-April. And it's expected to continue um, despite, you know, the arrest of hundreds of people recently. In particular, during a May 2nd rally in Yerevan, the parliament vice speaker and opposition leader Ishkan Sagatelian actually announced the beginning of a quote-unquote large-scale campaign of civil disobedience. So he called for people to strike, for students to, you know, uh, conduct school walkouts, block traffic in central Yerevan, etc. So I think people can definitely expect uh, more protests moving forward. Well, Lamana, I always appreciate having you on the podcast. You managed to squeeze in the maximum amount of information in the short time we have. Thanks for that. Hopefully it helps. Thanks for having me. Take care. Today's episode was produced with work from Fractal Editors Ahmed Namatala, Alex Moore, David Wiley, and Agnese Bufano. Our interview featured editor Imana Gunawan, and our music comes courtesy of Andrew Gosby. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Factual Forecast. We publish our forward-looking podcast each Thursday to help you get a jump start on the week ahead. You can, of course, subscribe for free, and if you have feedback, suggestions, or events we've missed, drop us a note by emailing hello at factual.com.